welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode, I speak to Mark Kosminski, co founder of the Blue Mind Approach. We have a really open and honest chat about his divorce experience. Also, there is a trigger warning because we do talk about gambling and also alcohol addiction. And Mark is really open about his experiences with those and even doing getting arrested, being in a car crash, doing a workout in prison, and that being um, his impetus to make a change, start his recovery process and then also start helping others. So it's a super vulnerable chat um, and I really enjoyed speaking to him. Enjoy. I am joined by Mark Kosminski, co-founder of the Blue Mind Approach. Hi, Mark. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Samantha, hi. Great to be on. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. How does that feel when I say to you, welcome to The Divorce Social? <laughs> oh, that, um, that word just sends shiver, shivers through my body. It's um, I've experienced my own divorce in 2018 and, and talking about the topic topic on a regular basis it's um i never thought i'd be having this conversation with you or even contemplating divorce right so that it's you know the reality is people don't go into the relationship thinking it'll ever be an option but uh, here we are most uh, most relationships end in divorce already right i think uh, i saw somewhere that uh, was a hundred thousand people in the UK got divorced last year, the year before. So, which I, which I know that you were one of, was it during the pandemic? So, yeah, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. It's quite a big number, isn't it? I just want to go back to you said the word divorce sends a shiver down your spine. Explain that to me. Why is that? My my divorce was it was a negative experience, as most people's most people's divorce was. Um, while you do your absolute best to end things amicably. Um, it's a very emotional time. And 
you're you're dealing with not only the individual that you're um, consciously uncoupling from, but the the family. We have twin boys as well uh, who were very young at the time, and you go into you go into a dark place, right? You you um, you immerse yourself in self sabotage, and I think every time you hear the word, or for me personally, it just that subconscious it just it triggers me slightly. But it, what I've really found helping is in a form of giving back and accelerating the healing process for others by having these types of conversations and coaching people through through their divorce, especially men. The reality is men don't talk. We're not uh, encouraged to be vulnerable and authentic. Well, you absolutely are on this podcast. I, I actively encourage you to be <laughs> open and authentic. Well, that's that's what I that's what I loved about um, your conversation with Kate Daly over at Amicable. You talked a lot about honesty, and uh, it's, uh, it's it's vital. It's um, the, the truth will set you free, right? And uh, it, it's I don't know why we we don't talk about it more. The fact that people are so scared of telling the truth just because of what someone else might think, and it's. It's all BS. It's uh, if you can be if you can be authentic and be vulnerable, have difficult conversations through the Blue Mind brand. We talk a lot about leave nothing important unsaid, and uh, you know whether it be parenting, relationships, and that, that triggers me to think about communication, effective communication. Uh, I believe that was the number one reason for the breakdown in our in our marriage, in my marriage was that um, our inability to communicate effectively. And what I mean by that specifically is expectations of each other, uh, clearly articulate a vision for the future as well. Um, you know, what about yourself? Did you, I, I, most of the people I speak to, nobody, everyone talks about have the kids, get the house, get the car, get the better house with the gate, <laughs> um, get a better car. But no one actually talks about, you know, what do you want life to look like when you're, when you're 60, 70, 80? Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think that vision for the future, this mutual goal is so important to discuss at that early stage, but people don't, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a common theme of the people I interview. I mean, I have to say I am a comedian and performer and oversharer. So, um, I actually think communication was obviously at times difficult, but it was kind of there in my marriage. It was more that our lifestyles kind of diverged. I think, you know, me being out in the evenings and him working nine to five didn't really uh, match up. But um, it's interesting you talk about communication and you say that was the breakdown of your marriage. Do you think you started to learn these tools about being open and vulnerable after the divorce? Is that what the divorce taught you? Or were you trying to implement that during the marriage? Definitely the uh, the first one. Um, so I got divorced in 2018. And um, I've been suffering with a serious gambling issue for over 10 years. Um, my, in my inability to control that gambling and my lack of understanding around it, I just, I could not understand why why i did it um and that lack of understanding then led to self-sabotage drinking drugs binge heavily binge drinking uh, big big rugby fan played a lot of rugby uh be, i'd be working in the city within a sales environment so thursday friday was was a lot of time in the pub downing pines just surrounded by people everyone's doing it. everyone's having a good time this is normal etc 
Um, and then the Class A potentially would come out. Then it gets the weekend in that rugby environment again, heavily drinking Sunday. Then it's a roast with the family. It was just, it was just relentless. You're constantly just consuming, consuming alcohol. And, and, um, the post, uh, so my, my wife asked for a separation and it was very much around behavioral base. The fact that my inability to control these things. And it's funny because in your mind, you're thinking, this is, this is not me. I, I know I'm so much better. Um, you know, who am I? I, I talk a lot about identity, and um, you know, it feels like we we inherit our identity from uh, from parents and teachers. When actually, you don't really question who you are, what are your beliefs, what are your values, um, and then uh, the the point that you, you mentioned about the when did I realise this? Three four months after my uh, my uh, separation, um, I uh, was in a car crash. Um, so I was arrested for drink driving and wrote off my car. And wow. I think I think that whole experience of extreme ownership and acceptance just ignited me internally to be to be more authentic and be more vulnerable and and take ownership for my actions and behaviours and, and my decisions because it's um you know thinking about it now i can i can remember they the solicitor that's representing the time he suggests oh look you know maybe next time you run off and you don't tell the truth and i'm sitting there going that doesn't sit well with me at all i'd rather i instantly admitted it i said look i've been drinking it's completely my fault and it just felt so rewarding it it just felt like the right thing to do and and from that point onwards it's like constantly do the right thing be authentic be vulnerable take extreme ownership for everything because once you accept and you take ownership that's when you can drive change we're, we're speaking to hundreds of men hundreds of men that are struggling with um whether it be divorce self-sabotage gambling drinking relationships find the inability careers finance this is so complex right it's so complex but we found that once they accept their situation they can drive change um, and then ultimately drive a form of transformation and and reignite their true identity and so I'd, i would definitely say that that was the trigger point for um driving effective communication wow does that make sense so yeah so a lot happened there um you mentioned about the alcohol and the gambling so what did the gambling look like for you if you're comfortable in talking about it and how did that kind of come to a head it started all um probably early late late teens where you're at school and people are talking about oh you know you can get a a football account, a betting account and you can bet on the football and it's quite fun if you get it right you get a few extra quid etc and you try it and the first one you get right and there's a couple of quid and you think oh this is fun this is easy oh this it makes sport more exciting then over time people introduce you to other forms of um, other forms of gambling so poker was my was was my downfall i found it an absolutely fascinating game from a a a, um, a, a, a behavioral perspective like understanding people's thought process and then also a mathematical perspective but you know, um, people are people ask me like did you did you, did you play to win uh, to win money and it was like, it was never about money it was 
it was about uh, a safe environment where that you can make decisions, get it wrong, and no one tells you off. Um, there's a brilliant book by a guy called uh, Near Ale who wrote Indistractable. He talks about how humans need three things, which is uh, which are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And once I understood that, because he, he he relates it to why children are obsessed with gaming. And for, you know, using that as an example, autonomy, the game allows them to make mistakes. There are no repercussions. It's not like a parent or a teacher telling you off for getting something wrong or putting their limiting beliefs on you. Then competence, you do well in the game. The game hits you with a load of dopamine, the reward chemical. It lights up. You go to the next stage. You get a trophy. It makes you feel great relatedness you're, you're talking to other people while playing the games you feel part of that, that that whole connection which is what we really crave that connection with other with other humans even though it is digitally and once i understood that it was i completely understood why i gambled and i, and I couldn't understand it at the time was because autonomy i was in an environment where it didn't feel like i had autonomy in my marriage i would come back from working a, a sales job where i was in the office at half seven left at six it was six six thirty London-based, our commute, I'd come home having underperformed at work, being told what to do at work, told what to do at home. It just, it felt like I didn't have any autonomy. And gambling just gave me this safe environment to do that. No repercussions. Obviously, this is in in the moment, there were repercussions further down the line in terms of losing money, etc. And whenever the the, um, the ex-wife found out, she would go absent, rightfully so, absolutely ballistic. But um, I couldn't understand, I just couldn't understand at the time why I did it. Um, but in terms of what that looked like, there would be times where I was so scared is probably not the right word, but I just didn't want to go home back to that environment. So I would say that, oh, I'm just delayed slightly on the train. I'll, I'll be on the next, I'll be on the next train. I'm working, etc. But instead I'd just run to the bookies, watch some horse racing or some do- or dogs, etc. And it was just, it felt like freedom, if, even for that hour where I could just do what I wanted. I hadn't, I'd stopped work. I stopped working out. I stopped playing sport. And it, it felt safe. It's crazy to, I can, I can hear what I'm saying right now. And it just, at the, at the time, it felt so, it just felt rewarding. Um, but now I realize that that's absolute BS. It's an addiction, right? Absolutely. So it, it's addictive for a reason. Um, and the rewarding aspect of it sounded like, you know, what you were tapping into. Just for anyone who's listening and, and they're gambling and they maybe feel like, is it getting out of control? What were the signs for you that you were addicted to it? So oh, that's a really good question. So um, there, I missed a couple of um, uh, gatherings, whether it be work or social, where I would make excuses for the fact, oh, sorry, I can't go because I'm, I'm doing something else. And it would be because I was gambling. I'd either be in a tournament online and... Um, as soon as you get kicked out of the tournament, whether it be a, in poker, like a bad beat or something, even though mathematically you should have won that hand, it just felt horrendous. It was this gut-wrenching feeling internally that it was, you know, this, it, it can't be like this. I'm missing social events. I didn't want to see, I didn't want to see people. 
It's um, obviously the financial aspect as well. I didn't get into serious into serious debt. I had disposable cash, but that's not that's not really the point. It was more about the control of the the, the control of the behaviour, and then I would punish myself for doing it by by drinking because that then shuts off your prefrontal cortex. You know, they're not thinking about it in the short term. But when you wake up in the, the next day, having not slept well because you've because you've had a drink as well. It all then adds to the stress and anxiety. Just going back to this car crash, um, which sounds like a real turning point for you. So you'd been you'd been drinking, you were in a car crash, you wrote off the car. Was someone else involved? No, nobody else was involved. Um, I'd played golf throughout the day with um, some friends and... Uh, at the time, I'd moved back to my parents because I was no longer in the in the, in the marital home, and um, uh, I I drove quite a long way quite a long way back to my parents' house, and I literally I, I got it's always the case, isn't it? In terms of your uh, you co- you concentrate for ninety percent of the time or uh, the journey, and then when you really you think you're you're nearly at home. You then switch off. So I was literally just around the corner. I flipped a, um, a wall, a, a large rock, and ended up flipping the car upside down. Absolutely horrific ex- experience. I can remember <laughs> from a humour perspective. Hopefully, you'll appreciate this as a comedian. But I can remember, <laughs> craw- I can remember crawling out. My shoulder was slightly cut. I was I was absolutely fine, thankfully. Just looking at this BMW upside down. I thought, oh my gosh, the engine's still running. I need, I've got to crawl back in and turn it off. So I grabbed the car keys, went to press the button to turn the engine off, and the boot opened, and all my golf clubs fell out. <laughs> just, and then this kid, this kid was on his bike because it was about nine o'clock in the evening, and this kid rode past and went, "Mate, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. You wouldn't mind standing next to the car and let me take a picture, would you?" And I just looked at him. And, oh no. my gosh. <laughs> Wow, that that's how you know it happened, you know, in the last few years. Like it, he wanted an Instagram photo, didn't he, for his profile? Yeah, exactly, wow. exactly. But you, you got to. Yeah, thankfully, I didn't. I didn't hurt anyone. Uh, I didn't hurt myself. Uh, having never been in trouble with the police before, uh, being arrested, spending a night in the in the cell, overhearing other um, people, uh, other in other people in the prison screaming, shouting. Um, deliberately hurting themselves so that they could then go to hospital and not be in the prison was a horrific experience. And you know, the next day, the the I was supposed to be picking up the twin boys. I didn't have the phone. Um, people were wondering where I, where I, where I was. They knew that I I wasn't coping particularly well with the divorce. Um, naturally, they thought that I'd done something to myself, taken my own life. So it caused a lot of. Um, uh, stress and anxiety with the family. It's um, but acceptance was definitely the main thing, and it's. Uh, I can remember. I can remember being in my cell, just thinking, "What, what do I do? You know, what, what next?" So I started working out. The only thing I could think of doing was doing a, a workout in the cell. Just started doing Insanity, which is a thirty-minute hit session, and I just thought, "I've got to. I've got to uh, shift my mindset immediately." Which was quite a was quite an amusing situation. Wow! So <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the thought process of like you're in prison <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to do a workout. How did you feel doing that workout? Did it help? 
absolutely yeah absolutely so this this four-month period from separation to the car crash the, the first week that um uh, my ex and the, and the twins moved out of the, the family home because i had nowhere to go at the time i said look you you go to your parents i will i'll stay here that first week i thought i just every every night after work i got two bottles of red wine two pizzas went home gambled online i was like screw you i'm not the problem here i'm having a brilliant time made some money and i did that thing for every day for six six or seven days i can remember getting out of the shower on, on day seven day eight looking myself in the mirror and i significantly put on weight i felt awful you could see it in my face that i was in i was hurting that i was in pain and i don't know what made me do it but i just picked up the phone hit record pointed at myself and just had a little conversation with myself about this has to stop you're overweight you're on your own now you don't know how to cook you this whole independence thing some reality kicks in all you're doing is proving her, is proving her right, and the motivation goes initial initial motivation goes from screw you. I'm going to show you what I can do here, but then it changes to actually show yourself what you can do. And now I'm I'm living this life of curiosity, like what else is what else is capable. But the thought process around the, the workout was that because I'd been um, immersing myself back in, uh, I believe that is the barrier to entry for mental health is daily movement. So through Blue Mind, we talk a lot about daily movement. This the fact that any sort of movement doesn't need to be a hit workout or a CrossFit session or a hundred k run or anything. Any sort of uh, movement, whether it be a, whether it be a walk, is great for your mental health because I'm not sure about you, Samantha, but it seems like most people don't move, and the neuroscience, the, the dopamine, the BDNF that you get from moving first thing in the morning as well is just phenomenal. So in that moment, having been arrested in the cell, seeing the it, there's you know, it's not like a hotel or anything. There is no, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing in there apart from a toilet and a bed. I just thought. I'm slightly, I'm slightly still drunk. I could do a workout here and completely sort my mindset out. So I just, yeah, I just that was that was the thought process. I knew that it would reignite my mindset and get me back on into a into a better place and not just sit there dwelling on the fact what I just what I've just done. Yeah, there's definitely something ironic about you being in a prison cell doing a workout called insanity to get yourself back to your <laughs> mindset. Um, but I like that. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's the ad break. Would you like some divorce social merchandise? Oh, yeah. Give me a divorce social tote bag. Give me a divorce social sticker and mug. All right, then. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S. That's my name. And you will get access to be able to join up to our Patreon. That supports the admin costs of the podcast. It also means you have access to merchandise and a 90s style chat room where we talk about divorce and heartbreak and overcoming it and being fierce, amazing humans. Don't forget to leave a review of the podcast as well and hit subscribe on all your podcast platforms. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter at DivorcePod and I'm at Samantha Baines. Enjoy this advert because it makes me 2p every time you listen. 2p isn't maybe the real amount. I've made that up as an approximation, but thank you anyway. I just wanted to go back for a minute because you said you you were missing a family gathering or and your friends hadn't heard from you and you said obviously they were worried I'd done something to myself mm. why obviously were they worried had they expressed those worries to you before they hadn't they hadn't no um I think that uh so I, I don't believe that I've ever had suicidal thoughts going through divorce um, but I do know um, on this very rewarding journey of helping people through Blue Mind that um, most men do. And whether it be uh, shortly after the separation or after six months where potentially another partner gets introduced and that partner is going to be introduced to the kids, et cetera, these thoughts start to, these thoughts start to kick in. But I think at the time it was the fact that you don't hear from someone for someone should have been home at a certain time. You don't hear from them. The phone's off. Multiple people are trying to get hold of you. Um, it's an emotion, isn't it? It shows that it shows that people care. And how did you feel knowing that they thought that you might have done something to yourself? Oh, absolutely horrific. I can I can remember um, that it was actually my ex-wife that came to pick me up from prison. Um, she said, look, I'll come and get you. And I can remember uh, being released and just sitting on this wall, waiting for her to arrive. And when she did, I just completely, completely broke down in front of her. And and because um, at the time we were we were having conversations about, you know, do we give it another go? Uh, we've got two kids. We've recently renovated a house. And there's me thinking, is oh my gosh, I'm completely cocking this up. I've spent four months improving my health. Things were improving at work. I completely kicked gambling to the side. I'd even gone to Vegas. I thought, I went to Vegas with a few friends. And I thought, if I can go there and not gamble, that's like the ultimate 
stepping stone to, to knowing that this is all in my head, that it's all to do with the fact that I was I was lacking con- connection with other humans and I was I didn't have this autonomy. So it was all going pretty well to then get arrested for drink driving. Just felt like absolutely I was back to uh, back to square one. Um, but uh, thinking of this now, it made me think of a. Uh, something that you said with, with Kate on the, on Kate Daly's podcast around, you just knew it was over because it went, as soon as there was me, a complete emotional mess. I've gone to hold her and I just felt absolutely nothing. It was just this cold feeling. And I thought, ah, oh, this is weird. I'm in a really bad place. And yet your, your hug just feels empty. If that makes sense. And, um, I can then remember being brought back to my mum and dad's and my mum has just held me where it then felt the complete opposite where it was just utter love, like oxytocin is the, the love neurotransmitter. And I just felt all this love from my mum and it was, you could you could just see that I'd caused them so much distress over the last five, six hours because I, I, because I wasn't available. Or they, or it was probably longer than that, it's probably 10 hours. Um, but... Um, extremely emotional and, and uh, my, my wife I said look you're not seeing the kids uh, perhaps you want to come back to the marital home for a little while just for a week and you can and you can see the kids every day because I hadn't seen them for two weeks and it's um, you know, this is a slightly different conversation but it feels like most of your listeners will, um, will understand that as a father you, you agree to have children because you think you'll see them every day to then have that taken away from you um, and you only see them every two weeks is completely soul destroying and you worry that uh, how are they going to be influenced in that environment without you and um, are they going to be told the truth and there were threats of I'm going to arrange for your family never to see the kids again. And you're thinking, this is all an exaggeration. This is all, this is not, this is not the brutal truth here. This, we, 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 I'm a, I believe I'm a good person. I'm, just, I'm struggling with my identity at the moment. And I just, I just don't, I don't understand it, if that makes sense. Um, so to be allowed to come back to the family home after this car crash and see them on a daily basis was just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But, um, uh, shortly left again after after a week and that process from the, the car crash to then going to court two weeks later was really reinforced this acceptance and ownership and just la- allowed me to to push on in terms of um in terms of uh my, my growth and personal development because i think the there's a cool book um dr carol Dweck about uh, mindset and it's all about a fixed mindset or a growth mindset and i believe up until that um uh, that car crash, which is a, the Japanese have a word for it. They have a, it's a, a Kensho moment. So you're forced to grow through pain. And then once you force to grow through pain, you then realize what it's like being elevated and, and growth. And oh, okay, I can now actually grow through insight. So I started reading, which was again, absolutely fantastic. My managing director at the time handed me a book and I was like, oh, please don't give me that book. I'm, there's no way I'm going to bloody read that. I haven't read a book in 33 years and it was all about rugby and business. And I thought I'll give it a go because I've got an hour commute and the book instantly spoke to me because it was, I could relate it back to my rugby days. It was all about a winning mindset and culture and connection and 
mantras and it was uh, absolutely brilliant and then instantly off the back it referenced a few other books i bought some more books i've got over a hundred books now i read every day for um for an hour and it's just it's funny that so uh, myself and the other co-founders of blue mind we regularly talk about the fact that in order to um raise your consciousness and awareness do you need to go through that adversity because it feels like most people only start to elevate once they've experienced that adversity that can show moment so because otherwise people just don't get it you know i, I was i mentioned to you that we go on these walks and talks every two weeks through the brand because we're encouraging men to talk we're creating this safe the safe space, this non-judgmental environment where they can feel that they can be vulnerable with people that get it, because they don't have that in their in their um, in their current in their current situation. I love that idea. That's great, and I love that you said about the concho moment because I think my dad's death around the time when I was getting married, and then the aftermath of that was the thing for me that the kind of pain that I moved through to then start working on myself. Sure. But so I'm, I'm interested in how you reading lots of books then went to you kind of coaching other individuals and mainly men, as you said, on their kind of divorce journey. Through um, this whole acceptance thing and then driving change and gaining insight from, from, from books and other people, from personal development programs, you, you realise that... Um, you you can add the most value to somebody else by accelerating the healing process for them if they're going through a, if they go through a similar thing that you went you went through, and through uh, also understanding the fact that we're we're here to co elevate right we're here to create things with with other people and I had a few friends that went through. Um, the reality is that how already exists, right? It's okay. How do how do I get through divorce? Okay, I'm going to go and speak to people that have been been through it but didn't talk about it. So I reached out to a few other men that I, that I heard over the years that got divorced. Some people gave me some insight. Some people didn't. Time being the biggest the, big, the biggest healer, right? So, but in the short term, that doesn't help at all because it's real. It's brutal. It's extremely emotional. But coaching a few people at the moment going going through this but but the, there seems to be a point where the hardest the hardest part for most men is when another man gets introduced into uh, that third part that third party i remember you speaking about it this third this whole third party piece it's interesting people i've spoken to before um i think one man said he just had this real feeling of like I want to beat him up or like I want to prove <laughs> that like I'm more of a man or something than this new man definitely, yeah definitely definitely it's it's so raw it's the we have we have mental chatter in our head right so the mental chatter that goes on around I I designed that house I paid for that house how dare this other man that I don't know be in there and see my kids more often than I see them this is this is fucking ridiculous. This is fucking ridiculous. I'm, there's no way I'm going to stand. I'm, there's no way I'm going to stand for this. And um, and then the fact that it's not the, the the ex-wife is not completely transparent as well about how much time he spends there. Yet I'm standing on the platform at the local station, and he's there as well. 
but he doesn't stay the night. Like, it's all this, all this type of thing. So your mental chatter's all over the place. But I've, I, over time, I, and, and from gaining insight, I realised that it's all ego. The only person you are against is yourself. Like the, the importance of that message is, is, is vital because it's got nothing to do with your ex or feelings for that, for that ex. I truly, truly believe this. It is the fact that you believed that those things are yours, that, that you have this entitlement to those things, and you don't. Another man coming into coming into the a third uh, the, the whole third party thing doesn't define your relationship with your children. Children only want one thing, and I made this mistake right at the beginning. In that, every time I did have them, I knew that I was the I was the money. So she she will no longer have as much money. So when they're with me, I will absolutely spoil them. We'll go to the toy shops. They were only three or four at the time. We'll go to the toy shops. I'll get new toys, etc. And in the short term, they loved it. You know, happy in the now, all this dopamine from stuff, from external stuff. And then one of them turned around. Um, I, I, one, it was one Saturday, I picked them up and they're like, oh, awesome, we're going to the toy shop. Every time we see dad, it means we go to the toy shop. And I thought, hang on a minute, this is, this is not good. They, they can't associate my time with them that they're going to get something for it. So I immediately put a stop to it. And again, through reading and through insight, I, re I realized that the number one thing that children want is, t is your time. And it feels like, um, you know, while, while continuing on this uh, personal growth journey, that I've come to the conclusion that my, my parents didn't give me their time. Um, as an example, it's I was really enjoyed my sport, but they were. It was very, very rarely. I'm talking maybe once, once a year that they would be on the touchline, like watching us watching a game, and um, or even sitting me down and having deep and meaningful conversations. But you, you realise that they're doing the absolute best with the tools that they have because of the way that they were parented. But why are we not learning this? This whole, this conscious, conscious parenting, conscious relationships—it just absolutely baffles me. With, with Blue Mind at the moment, a lot of the stuff we're doing is is healing, so it's accelerating the healing process for those people. And then the, we've talked about divorce, self self sabotage. But actually, what if? Imagine if we can prevent these things. Why are we not talking about the root, the root cause? Why are we not? raising consciousness and aware, awareness there's a there is a root issue why 50 percent of of or 42 percent i think it was quite on um, i saw in, um, on, on your on your podcast that um, uh, relationships end in, in breakup there's a root issue there we're all talking about the symptoms that so-and-so leaves his socks on the floor or doesn't take the rubbish out except these are all symptoms right if you think of a tree these are the branches but there's a there's a root issue and the root issue i believe Jay Shetty talks about this a lot in that it's attraction versus connection in that you initially are very attracted to somebody. So physically, intellectually, but then also a material as well. So um, what that person has, but they, we don't connect with that person because it's usually in your twenties, right? You don't connect with that person emotionally or spiritually. And those are the two main ones because the other things over time Will deteriorate physically. You'll deteriorate. Um, uh, the, the materials could 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 go away, 
And intellectually, um, again, if, unless if, you're, if you've got a fixed mindset, it's just going to stay the same. You're not going to you're not going to grow. So, why are we not teaching people to connect with each other emotionally and spiritually and talk about vision for the future, goals? You know, what do you want to achieve in the next in the next two years? Um, how do you see our life being at 50, 60, 70, 80? Because they talk, the, the goals they talk about those uh, goals, um, those mean goal, those means goals in terms of children house and that's about it but then you're 35 it's like you've got the rest of your life to, you, the rest of your life together and more often than not the woman the, uh, is uh, is the mother and stays at home her career gets um, halted in terms of her progression the man goes off he elevates and grows within his environment so if you don't grow together you grow apart and i i believe that is such a such a um again a common thing speaking to men and a lot of a lot of women have reached out to us as well in that um you know i want my i want my man to change i feel that he's he's holding something back and it comes back to that vulnerability piece again doesn't it it's a case of men feel that because of probably the way they were parented and what society says a man should be like oh don't cry men don't cry or that's not that's not man it's like it's it's, it's bullshit it's bullshit it's complete bs we should be we should be as males we should be embracing our feminine side that doesn't make it that doesn't make us feminine but it's about you know masculinity and femininity and it's the same for females you know most more and more women are going into the gym i'm a big fan of crossfit and you see there's a huge increase the age of um, 40 plus of women investing in weight training and they they're in incredible shape it doesn't make them masculine it's it's about finding it's about finding that um it's about finding that balance. I love some weights. But I wonder it's interesting that you said about the uh you know obviously if we're looking at a stereotypical I mean it is a bit of a 1950s stereotype but that mar- that women stay at home and look after the kids and and men go off and work. Um and you talked about men elevating in their career. Do you think that women who look after, who, who are the main sort of carers of children and the young educators of children, maybe they elevate in more of an emotional way in that respect? So you're drifting apart from each other because one's focus is career and one's focus is connection with children, I guess. Oh, what, a, what a brilliant question. Um so the, the way or what I believe is that in terms of identity, a lot of men associate and, and, and both both sides, male, males and females, they associate uh, their identity to the role that they play. So in terms of career, a lot of men are like, right, I'm the MD of this or I am the whatever it be, whether it be a cleaner to the, to the, C, to the CEO, you associate your identity to the position that you have but that's not who you are so they they create this attachment from a from a it's the same it's the same for females as well they can they can create an emotional attachment to being a mother but that is again not their true their true identity that role evolves throughout the parenting throughout the parenting cycle and I have this conversation with, with, with my parents regularly because they believe that they are the parent and we are the, with the child. And even though at 37 years of age, they still believe that we, they are tiered above me. And it's like, surely the ultimate goal is to become friends with your children. 
it has to be. It's, it's a collabor. It's a collaboration, and to then bring other other children up the chain and 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 make better humans. The the, the All Blacks in 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 Legacy talk about it brilliantly in terms of this the shirt that once you receive the shirt, you have a responsibility of giving it to the next generation in a better state than you received it. Shouldn't be parenting be exactly exactly the same? So I think going back to your question, it really is a case of is identity that I believe the the men they, they focus so much on their career because they want to be providers. They, this is all coming from a place of love. They want to be a provider. They want to provide security. They they want to bring more money because society defines success in terms of in terms of external things you know what you have what you can obtain do you think that might be why some men struggle if a female partner starts to earn more than they do from your experience of the men you've worked with have you ever had that i i have well i have seen it it wouldn't be fair for me to speak on behalf of somebody else i I haven't been in a scenario where that has been the case, so I don't know how I would react, but it's about comparison, isn't it? So I would guess from speaking to men that have been in that situation, they feel um, less worthy, right? less, self, less self-worth. But it comes back to the only person you're against is yourself. Because you compare yourself to, because you've, in a little scenario, you might have gone down the pub and you've spoken to, John and Dave, and they've said, "Oh, I can't believe your wife wants more money than you. What sort of man are you?" They've questioned you. You it's then gone in. It's you. 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 It's gone into your mental chatter, and you and you question yourself. It's all BS. It's all absolute. It's all absolutely BS. It's if your if your wife is extremely talented at something, and she is being rewarded financially for that, we should be praising that. We should be we should be absolutely praying, and then and as the male, you should be you should be supportive. It's the, this I believe this comes down to the fact that men are or predominantly defined by what they can provide, and but that is not the case usually for the for the female. That's that's crazy. That's abs- that's abs- that's absolutely crazy. Surely surely if we if we were to change the definition of success. And that it wasn't about external things, and it's about the being comfort in, in your own skin. Then it'd be a very different. It'd be a very different conversation, right? Yeah, I totally agree. It should be about success. Should not be about external things. But sometimes it's hard to get away from that, isn't it? Because everything around you is telling you that's what success is. Um, so it's hard to remember. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But so, so in your recovery journey from your own divorce, you said that you did a workout in prison um, and and then you started reading books. Were those the two main things kind of getting moving and broadening your kind of mind, I guess, with, with all these books and, and interesting theories that you read or were there other things that helped you kind of get to where you are now? Daily, daily movement exercise was definitely one of the, one of the core pillars of that. The, the reading, the insight, the, the developing a growth mindset, whether it be a book, whether it be a personal development course, whether it, whether it, it meant proactively going out and identifying um, an, an environment where I would grow. So as an example, I've, I've, I've a, uh, a host of mentors now, people I can call up on people. It's, 
have a think about who you want to become, the type of person you want to become. Again, not not the role that you want, not that I want to be this this business owner, the, the person that you want to become. As children, you ask a child, you know, what do you want to be when you're older? And they, they don't really know. They, they'll, they'll, they'll say a fireman or football player or something, but how about, or what if we, we had a conversation with them about what type of person do you want to be? I believe that changing the narrative that way would be would be completely different in terms of how, what type of person do you want to become. So once I started thinking about that, I started to surround myself with people that I, I believed were good people that um, have this the mindset of giving back as well. They they wanted to help other people grow. I um, reduced. I took myself off off of Facebook. Me, um, I took myself off, uh, myself off Facebook because what I found was, and and I advise this to, to men that we speak to as well, is that every time you go on there, you're getting triggered because you see the ex doing something else or you see, even if it was her birthday and 20 other people put on there a picture of her and go, wow, the most wonderful person in the world, the most amazing mother. And I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, yes, good at you're getting triggered, right? And mm. you can just remove that. You can remove that distraction. So I think removing yourself from social media was another, another big factor. Um, so I'd strongly advise that. And then once you, once you're ready to come back to social media, I would, I'd be quite brutal and remove the people because you, you, you're going to, you're going to go on this new journey where you um, create a new identity for yourself. And, and it, I truly believe this is your, your true identity. I think from when you go to school, and those early twenties uh, where you start working and stuff, you you get pushed into this um, into the society, and you 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 don't express yourself so much. So you're you're reigniting your true identity by going through this adversity and pain of divorce. And I would be extremely brutal and remove people that um, no longer share your new beliefs and values. Seek some clarity around your beliefs and values. You know what do you what do you truly believe in? Question whether you inherited those from somebody else. Does it actually matter to you? Is it important? So get answers to what are your what are your values? What are your beliefs? What is really important to you? And create a vision for your future. There's an absolutely uh, simple but brilliant um, uh, little task uh, or uh, concept that you can look at called the three MIQs, which is the three most important questions in terms of um, what do you want to experience, for three columns, what do you want to experience before you die? How do you, what, how do you need to grow in order to experience those things? And once you've done all that, how would you give back to the world? Because we, we are designed to, to give back. It feels great to help other people. And once I got some clarity around those things and put it in my bathroom and looked at it every day, it was like, ah, oh, awesome. Okay, I'm not going to do anything else apart from um, if, it's, if it's outside of this. So there was no, you know, there's no need to, to gamble or drink excessively. And it just made such it made such a difference. I even I've put on there that I want to build programs to help people g- get through all this, which is why which is why we're investing so much in Blue Mind and getting it off the ground and, and working with people. Um, so the exercise, just as someone I said, the exercise is absolutely vital because uh, we're not designed to carry excess weight. If you can move, it's going to create really good. People think. 
oh, exercising is vanity, but self-care is not being, um, self-care is not selfish. So regular exercise will release good chemicals in in your head, which will then make you more creative. You're going to function, you'll be in a better mood. You're going to be a better version of yourself for other people. And that doesn't have to be weights, right? It can be walking, you know, yeah, it's going for a walk. That's part of the reason I got a dog. Because I was like, Mm. she makes me, I have to take her for a walk every day. And that's good. Definitely. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything excessive. Just, just move. What I love about the weights the weight, the whole weights thing, is that there's a lot of research and data now around um, the fact that our muscles deteriorate from the age of forty. I think it's called psychopenia by three percent. So if we can commit to weight training in our thirties and forties, you are going to be a stronger 60, 70 year old. And I don't know about um, I don't know about your parents or friends who pay parents etc. But my parents are approaching 70 and they really struggle to move because they've never been to the gym. They don't walk, they don't do anything. And you just think you can prevent that. Again, it comes back to, it comes back to prevention. If we, if we had a, a more open conversation about like, what can you do now that will help your, your future is, and, and, and weight training is a big part of that. And you don't need to weight train very often. You just need to do two sessions a week for 15 minutes but um, that sounds doable to me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a cool thing like called the big six, um, which you can, you can do. Um, it's, it is literally two sessions a week for, and it's 15 minutes. That's if you, if you can't find half an hour a week to then be more functional when you're older then uh, there's something seriously wrong, I believe. <laughs> so now looking back, um, how do you feel about the, the alcohol and the gambling is it completely out of your life yeah it's, it is important that i'm continue to be authentic and vulnerable here so alcohol it's what's the date today so beginning of this year i wanted to challenge myself to go the whole year without drinking so it it definitely improved it definitely improved but it beca- it's become a subconscious behavior so this whole time we're constantly building uh, a subconscious mind and what that looks like Every Thursday, I could go Monday, Monday to Wednesday, Monday to or Thursday um, lunchtime, absolutely fine. But then, as soon as sun, this Thursday after uh, evening hits, it's like okay, the body, my body, having behaved like this for twenty years, is used, is craving the sugar of alcohol. But you you can replace a bad habit with a good habit. That's all these things are. They're just habits. Like we are creatures of habits routines, patterns, right? So you just got to replace it with something else. It's very difficult to go cold turkey. So with the whole alcohol thing, I don't plan on living a life of sobriety, but I do want to completely recode myself and not have that subconscious behavior around alcohol. So I think it's 120 days, whatever, 125 days in at the moment, which is, I don't think about it at all. I sleep a lot better. I don't have hangovers. But again, I'm I'm I considering a life of sobriety i wouldn't not at this stage i'm under i'm undecided um so the alcohol is under control in terms of the gambling i went four years i thought three and a half years without even without gambling at all but because of the mindset and the fact that i developed an understanding around neuroplasticity and this 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 ability that we have to rewire our brain i wanted to see can I go back into that environment and be in control? And it was very interesting. So back in November, I tested it for a couple of months and I was in, I've, well, it felt like I was in complete control. It, it, it Gone was this need of 
losing some money, running to the cash machine or type or putting some money back in. I really enjoyed it. And that's the, that's why it should be there. So I tried some online poker for a couple of, for a couple of months. Um, do I need, do I need to be doing it? No, I, no, I don't. But I, I started doing it every two weeks where I play a little tournament and I love it. It's really good fun. I haven't done it for a couple of months because that, that need hasn't, that need hasn't been there. But with all these things, I'm not a believer in completely removing these things. It's about understanding why you do it, getting, coming back to that root cause again. And once I realized that there was a, an addiction for all those years because of autonomy and competence and this relatedness, the fact that I didn't have these things in my life. I feel like I do have those things in, in my life now. So it's, there, is, there is no need uh, and there's so much more control over those, over those things. If anyone's listening and they can relate to your story, maybe they're in that place that you were of alcohol and gambling and, you know, they're thinking, I don't want to hit my car crash moment. Um, what words of wisdom or advice would you offer them? Uh, Self-reflection. Um, I would take out a, a piece of paper. I think I'm a big believer of thinking in ink. So um, take down a piece of paper, make a list of what you believe those destructive behaviours are and literally make a decision on are you in control or not if you think if you if there's any um uh, indication that you're not i would talk to somebody about it um whether you know someone else that has been through a similar thing i think talking is is so important that's what's so great about the walk and the walks and talks that we do is that most people just want to most people just want someone to listen to them they don't have anybody that will listen and we're not very good listeners. You're not, you're not taught how to listen. Like people hearing this or listening, listening might think, what do, you, what do you mean? But there is such a thing as effective listening. That's why podcasts are great because you can't talk back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, but we, we found like on these walks, just by creating that safe, non-judgmental environment, men just open up and they're like, even something um, which we, we're going to really look into because I think there's going to be a lot of value there, but single dads with daughters. So I, I have two sons, so I, I, I have not been through this, but we have um, a number of single dads with daughters. And you know, naturally, the older they get, they're going to start having their periods, etc. Th- these dads are investing in books and insight to, to bring themselves up to speed because it's unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know, right? And you know, how many dads are doing that? Probably not, because if they're in a relationship, it's, it's left, of them, left of them up. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's most dads um, with that whole uh, post-separation, uh, post-divorce, they are, they are super scared about these topics. And the fact that can they, are, they, are they in a position to help? Are they in a position to educate and stuff? So we're encouraging people to gain insight. These limiting beliefs about, that, oh, it should just be, the mum that discusses it absolutely not why 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 not uh, look into it and on all these things it's um i think it's absolutely vital so I, i'd encourage people to to talk um confront the brutal truth it's that it's so important the truth will set you free it, you might feel like you don't want to tell the truth or you 
don't feel comfortable telling the truth, but I would encourage you to be vulnerable, confront the brutal truth, accept the, the, the situation you're in, because then once you accept, you can take ownership for it and you can drive change. Great advice. Great advice. And also, I think, you know, single dads with uh, girls, uh, le- you know, learning about periods and, and bras and stuff. I think it's quite a nice idea to learn together, maybe, you know, and and embrace that honesty, you know, coming from a, a woman who had a period when she was younger and got a bra for the first time. <laughs> you know, I think it's you, you probably know that your dad isn't going to know about that stuff. But if your dad kind of sits down with you with a book and you both learn together, I think that could be actually a nice bonding experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So where can people find out more about the Blue Mind approach and find you online and things? We're on the usual usual suspects. So we're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. Instagram, you can find us at the Blue Mind approach. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Kozminski. Uh, we've got a website as well, uh, the um, which is bluemindapproach.com. So at the moment, it's very much around accelerating that healing process for others through coaching and group workshops and the, the walks and talks. Um, we're going to be hosting some events abroad uh, where men will be able to get away for two, three days and just surround themselves with other men and have these conversations and gain insight. Um, and within the next 12 months, we'll be launching uh, an e-learning platform, uh, a male growth platform where uh, we'll be gaining insight from experts in this because we, 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 we hold this vision of prevention. We, we want to get to the root cause and we want to uh, attack the education system and, and start having these conversations in school and even make it a subject. I, th- I, I do genuinely believe that the earlier that we can have these conversations, then we're going to prevent divorce, reduce male suicide rates, obesity, all the all this physical, mental and emotional illnesses. Amazing. What well, sounds good. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Great to be on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the 
podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.